Hi, this is Wendy Whalen. Thank you for joining us on New Combinations. Hello, Christopher Wielden. It's so good to be with you. Hello, Wendy Whalen. <laughs> We've got our radio We've voices. We've got our radio voices on. Yeah. Let's just say welcome back. It's been a long time since you've choreographed at New York City Ballet. You've been a little bit busy with other things. I have been busy. It's been, what has it been? It's been, has it been six years since I was gonna the ask last you. new piece, I think? Six mm, years. Maybe. Five or six. Losing, was that a Gershwin piece? That was the Gershwin Rhapsody in Blue, because it was right after American in Paris. Yeah. I was on a Gershwin roll. You were. And that was the last new piece, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was your first Broadway show, American in Paris? It was my or... first time directing a Broadway show. Okay. The first time I choreographed a Broadway show was The Sweet Smell of Success, right. which was not sweet and did not smell of success. <laughs> but yet, <laughs> but it was a good experience to just an, get your chops wet. Yeah, yeah, it was an amazing experience. I was 27 years old, working with Marvin Hamlish oh my God. and Craig Carnelia and John Guare and Nicholas Heitner and Bob Crowley, not for the first time actually, I'd already done a small piece with Bob, but you know, that went on to, I went on to have a long relationship with him. First time I worked with Natasha Katz, went on to have a long relationship with her. And it was, yeah, first time. You were the baby, baby, baby. I was the baby, baby. Wow. Yeah. There's so many places to start. You know, I think of you as a prodigy in a lot of ways, not only as a dancer, but as a creative artist. And, you know, so much of it lined up for you potentially when you moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And I just love the story of how you got to New York. And I just think our listeners would really enjoy this story. Can you just tell us that story one more time? I can. It's a good one. <laughs> it is a good one. <laughs> so I was entered into the Eric Brune Prize by the Royal Ballet. The Eric Brune competition is a competition that happens in Canada every year. Um, How old were you? I was, n no, I was 18. So I just joined the Royal Ballet. And it was kind of prestigious to be picked. Because ABT, I think it's ABT, National Ballet of Canada, Royal Ballet, Royal Danish Ballet. I think it's the four companies that Brune had a relationship with. He was a New York City Ballet, though, too. He was. <laughs> but there's no New York City Ballet. Actually, that's interesting. Yeah. There should be a New York City Ballet. Yeah. Um, huh? And so... <laughs> Each company sends a couple, and it's usually kind of the ho bright, yeah, hopeful future. future stars. And so I was chosen to go, and I was very excited. And then in one evening performance of Ashton Cinderella, I was playing the jeweler, and in true Wielden fashion, camping it up, because it was like a little character, sort of quite flamboyant, just little ditty part, really. And um, there were these little jumps where you had to jump over your leg in heels and it was the first time that I sprained my ankle first of many and I just wasn't thinking and I was you know hamming it up and doing lots of upper body in true Ashton style and <laughs> just went over on my ankle and so I couldn't go to the prize and I was out for I think six weeks maybe it was quite a bad tear because I went down so I was rehabbing at home, watching lots of TV, and there was a, a commercial on TV for Hoover vacuum cleaners, and a special offer, Hoover, in conjunction with Virgin Atlantic, 
If you bought a certain type of vacuum cleaner, you could apply for a round trip, free round trip ticket to the United States. And I think at the beginning, you were kind of guaranteed it. But of course, everyone, including me, went out and bought a vacuum cleaner. And so suddenly, Virgin were in trouble because they couldn't honor all the tickets. And Hoover were in trouble because they were telling Virgin that there was a big lawsuit. But I got my application in early enough and I got my free ticket. And it was right at the end of my rehab for my ankle. So I'm like, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to have an amazing week on my own. Never traveled alone before. 18 years old. 18 years old. And a friend's uncle lived here, so I was going to stay with him. So I flew out to New York. I wrote in advance to the New York City Ballet to say, and I I didn't really know very much about the company, except for I used to sneak out of Benish notation classes at the Royal Ballet School because just I was so, I I wish I hadn't now in hindsight, but at the time it was just so boring. Um, And I used to go to the library and hide under the table, there was like a big table in the library, and I would like pull down all the dance magazines and I'd read dance magazines. So I sort of started to get to know the New York City Ballet. I got to know you, you were in one of the issues I remember very distinctly because you were one of the, one of the young up and coming ballerinas and there was a, an article on the future of City Ballet. And so I was interested in the company, but I didn't know very much about them. So I wanted to explore a little bit. And so I wrote and said, can I take class? because I need to rehab and it would be a great opportunity. And I remember the lady who used to be the company manager all those years ago, she sweetly wrote me back and said, of course, that's fine. So I came and I took class. And the first morning I was in class, first morning I was in New York, first morning I was in America, I came to the then State Theatre and Sean Lavery was teaching class. I remember standing very close to you at the bar because I was like, that's the person that I read in da- about in Dance oh, Magazine. That's Wendy Whalen. <laughs> and I remember what I was wearing. I was like in some crazy like flesh-colored unitard. Of course you like, were showing off that body. What was I thinking? Turns out Peter Martins came to the second half of class and he was auditioning another boy for the company. And he thought I was auditioning as well. So suddenly I was called into his office and... He offered me a job. On the spot. On the spot. First day in America. Why do you want to leave the Royal Ballet? Um, I don't. I wasn't thinking about that. Oh, well, hey, if you want to join the New York City Ballet, we have a big balancing celebration coming up. We need more boys in the company. And Was uh, this 1992? 92. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, I don't think I can come for that because I'd need to finish out my contract with the Royal Ballet. And I think my contract was up maybe in the late fall and I said so if I can I explore New York for a week and come back and give you an answer at the end of the week because <laughs> I hadn't seen the company I hadn't seen Nothing. any of I hadn't been a tourist I had no idea right. where, where where I was who you I was you just won that I ticket just, from a vacuum cleaner I got, yeah <laughs> I, from a vacuum cleaner and suddenly I had a job with the New York City Ballet wild um, anyway so I spent the week in New York I saw tons of Broadway shows I saw tons of performances of City Ballet my little 18-year-old mind was blown because I saw Square Dance for the first time. I saw Four T's for the first time, Prodigal Son for the first time, Opus 19, The Dreamer for the first time. And then the, then I remember there was a big gala as well, and there was a whole bunch of, like, Zakuski and, like, some of mm. Peter's things and never seen any of his choreography. So I was just like, 
Wow. And the Corps de Ballet are really dancing. And I just skip around in Maple back home, pretty much. I mean, though, that's how it felt anyway at that time. So I came back the end of the week and I said, I'm going to go back to London. I'm going to ask my boss if I can take a year's leave of absence. And like, can we just take it from there? So I did that. And that was 32 years ago. Wow. Whoa. So glad you stayed. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the early memories, I, well, I remember the first day I met you. I think we were at a party. Peter Bowl. Peter Bowl's party, engagement yeah. party. And I was like, who's this kid? And you were very, very friendly. And, you know, hi, I'm, you know, young and excited and sweet <laughs> and funny. Like no, no, no. Energetic. Very energetic. Like a puppy. And I thought, oh, he's so cute, this kid. And then I got to see you dancing. And then suddenly we were, Jerry Robbins put us together in Dances at a Gathering and the Giggle Dance. And you were so young. And I was like your big sister. And mm -hmm. we were, I was trying to help you partner. Mm -hmm. And. It was come on, you it, can do it. I remember you on, saying, Chris. "Come on, yeah. this is the one. You got you can it. Do it. You're gonna do it this time." <laughs> and uh, we just kept going back to the drawing board and trying it. But I did definitely felt like brother sister connection, mm. and we did have similar names. So, and I, you know, I'm like Irish English. So I just was like, I just feel like he's this brother. And I remember we had a break during one of the dance. Well, there was dance of the gathering was going on for hours rehearsal with Jerry, and you were on a moment's break when you didn't have to be on stage, and you had a little notebook backstage by the production desk you were scribbling in it and taking notes you had I think at the time a Walkman on with like the little headphones probably <laughs> tape cassette <laughs> and I was and you were very entrenched in your designs on your notebook and I'm like well what are you doing Chris and you're like well you know I'd like to be a choreographer one day <laughs> when I grow up <laughs> yeah and I was like well that's cute you know the kid wants to make ballets you know and then within a year or two, two years, you made something at the school? Yeah, I think it was two years. Because I was very forward with Peter, too. I yeah. arrived with this box full of VHS cassette tapes of all the little school you pieces that I'd made. You had been making stuff for so long. I'd been at school. like It was like every... And I was like, oh, I'm sure he's going to want to see all of these. And oh, they yeah, were yeah. literally oh. like little like school project pieces. And I had done one... One kind of full one-act little ballet for a company, a school company in London called London Studio Centre. And that was my first piece. So I had that too. And, and I remember marching into his office and just kind of plunking down these, mm -hmm. you know, this stack of VHSs. Listen, I'm 19. Take me seriously. Yeah, I'm a choreographer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at me. I'm a choreographer. <laughs> but what's interesting is he was very invested in new work at mm -hmm. the time. And his own new work and, and scouting new work and scouting dancers. And, you know, he had a really kind of a good eye for these things. And mm -hmm. I think he was he was interested in seeing what young people were thinking and doing. And so he asked you, you to make a piece for the School of American Ballet. Mm. The first one was for like a studio workshop. And that uh -huh. was called Le Voyage, mm -hmm. starring... Maria Kurowski. No way. At, well, she was Liang. probably 15. She was 15 or 16. Maria Kurowski, Edward Liang, Benjamin Millipier, and Jason Fowler, and the Fromans. Wow. Those and are some mighty dancers there. Some mighty dancers. Yeah. Yeah. I've still got the VHS of that. Wow. I didn't realize yeah. Maria was your, your first muse in she New was. York. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm joking. But let me see. So then you, you continued on a little bit, and I remember talk was coming out like, well, he's good. That, the kid is good. 
Chris is pretty good. And then you made something here at New York City Ballet, getting some kind of mm-hmm. people were really starting to get a little excited about you. And then more and more you were doing very classical things because you come from that tradition. Mm. So I imagine I'll, I'll never be in a work of Chris because I'm not that classical. And that was your vocabulary. And that was who you were. It's who I was then, but I was already at the beginning sort of trying to shake that a little bit, yeah. I think. And so then that's why sort of I started to lean more towards, well, with polyphonia, a more different. neoclassical. Yeah. I know that was a big stretch for you. And you, how old were you then? 26 or 7. It was after Sweet Smell's success. Yeah. So I think it must have been 27. You were becoming open to new ideas yeah. and, try- and stretching yourself. Yeah, actually. And Sweet Smell's success came out of doing Center Stage because Center Stage, I choreographed a little bit for the movie, oh. was directed by Nick Heitner, who right. then hired me for so sort of... So you did a film? <laughs> you did a Broadway yeah. show <laughs> by the age of like 27. Yeah. And then you were making ballets at New York City Ballet. So again, I'm going back. You were a prodigy <laughs> in many ways. So you started to stretch yourself and all this choreography here and develop yourself and, and travel around the world. And I used to joke that your apartment was 30,000 feet above because you <laughs> yeah. didn't really have an apartment. You were always all over the world. I think in those days, if miles had been a thing, because they weren't, they kind of weren't really yet. Mm-hmm. I would have, yeah, probably had a lot of air miles. And then you became resident choreographer here for a number of years. I did. I what became, was that like for you? I mean, it was kind of, it was wonderful and such a huge honor. Because and you had stopped dancing by then. What did, how old were you when you retired? I stopped when I was 28. And I am really happy. I don't have any regrets. No regrets. Sometimes I, I miss the idea of dancing. And I, and I miss that feeling of being in that space on stage and everything else going away. I miss you that. are a natural performer too. So yeah. just <laughs> if anybody's wondering, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, mm. I was done. I'd done everything that I felt like I that I wanted to do. I knew I always struggled with partnering. And if you're not a good partner at the New York City Ballet, if you're not a good natural partner, it's a tough company because there isn't the time. There's a lot of repertoire. You know, I think the teaching now, partnering teaching, is probably a lot stronger. My partnering teaching at the Royal Ballet School didn't prepare me for kind of the off-kilter, you know... Repertory of balance re- Yeah, it yeah. just didn't. And to get ahead quickly, you kind of had to be sort of ready to go. And I, I just wasn't. I struggled. And then just got to the point where I'm like, mm, maybe, maybe the struggle is no longer worth it. And, you know, you've got this choreography gig going on and I was having to turn things down because you know I was obviously wanting to stay true to my my contract with the New York City Ballet so every now and then something would come up and I'd have to say no and I remember it was the eighth year of being called or the seventh year of being called to learn the Nutcracker Part of Doe and I was like I just don't want to do it again (laughs) I don't want to do it I don't I'm not going to do it it's too stressful and so I saw my name go up on the board, and I'm like, today's the day. Oh, wow. And I'm going to walk up to the main wow. hall, and I'm going to say to Sean Lavery, yeah, not going to do it. In fact, I'm going down to see the boss, and I'm going to stop. Wow. It was quite, a, I wouldn't say it was a rash decision, but it was very, everything came into focus really quickly. Mm-hmm. I think all the doubts and insecurities and sort of fears 
that had been floating around suddenly just kind of all came into focus and propelled me to make that decision. And it was a great decision to make. Were you the resident choreographer at that time, or had you not been named that yet? No, Peter made that position for me to kind of keep me around, I think. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was huge. No one's had ever held that position here. And, of course, the founding choreographers were George Valentin and Jerome Robbins. Right. No one had actually held the resident choreographer title. Right. So it was a, was a huge honor and quite a lot of pressure, although I was still in my 20s. And I feel like because I was quite a late developer... I have a really healthy amount of naivete still <laughs> that actually works quite well, works to my advantage. Because I think, I think in order to be a risk taker, you have to be a little bit, it's not about confidence. I think sometimes, it, and it's not stupidity, but it's something that sort of lies in a funny place in between. Um, you know, you have to just kind of be like, uh, I wonder yeah. if I can do, we can do that. Yeah, or just a little bit of a, you know, I want to F-bomb, but I'm not going to F-bomb. But, you know, like, damn it. Like, just try it. And if it all goes belly up and everything goes horribly wrong, then it can't be that horrible. Then we pick ourselves up and, you know, do something else. Yeah. I remember when we first started to do a, a few ballets together. And, again, I was had that, I don't know if you felt that way, but we had a brother-sister. Come mm -hmm. on. Yeah. Come on. No. Right? It's true. So we were very relaxed with each other in the studio and playful. Yeah. I just felt like we were in a sandbox. Like, well, what would this shape make yeah. out of this, you know, thing with this sand? And then it would fall apart and we would go try again and we would laugh. And I felt like you were giving me a voice in how to follow through on something. And I was older than you. So I think you were like, what would you do? Mm -hmm. And so you trusted me in a mm -hmm. way. And I felt so so empowered by you mm. in the room. And that was the beginning of something that I hadn't quite felt with a choreographer ever. I mean, I love to hear that. And I mean, it worked both ways because what you were, what you and Jock were doing actually together were pushing me. And mm, I always remember you, sometimes you'd just kind of go, you know, I think, I think we could probably do better than that. I did not no, say that. No, you would say that sometimes. Like, or like, what if we? What we would if we, offer you options to your idea. We would say that's a great idea. Let's can we try it this way? Yeah, that's all. Yeah, but I. But we I, did never say our ideas I think were better. Might, actually, no, 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 no. <laughs> but I think what I'm trying to say is, we collectively being like passive aggressively saying, I think you can do better than that. <laughs> and, oh, got it. Got and those it. words definitely came out of Jock's mouth. I remember him saying, No, you can come up with something better than that. Wow. And that was helpful. Mm -hmm. I mean, because then I did. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> And you need people like that. You know, you need, I needed the security of working with two artists who knew themselves inside out, but also were discovering new facets of themselves. Mm -hmm. And while you were discovering new ways of speaking with your body, through that process, I was learning how to be a choreographer. So mm -hmm. in a way, you know, we were, we were teaching each other. Yeah, for sure. So a few years later, you started to do some Broadway, more Broadway, where mm -hmm. you directed. And tell us about that experience and the differences between sort of directing a ballet that you're making. I know it's much bigger, but just give us a little 
look see into your Broadway experience if you can in yeah. a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was it's interesting because I really enjoyed my first experience, and and again because it, I was so new to it that the fact that the show was really unsuccessful, the sweet um, smell of the success. sweet smell of success, or the foul stench of failure, as we ended up calling it. <laughs> Um, and it was actually kind of a great show, honestly. It was just a really good show at a, at the wrong time because it's very dark and it's sort of about there's a um, an unsavory relationship between the father and the daughter and it's sort of about, you know, gossips in the press and well, kind of Walter Winchell type character. and re- But really good. Marvin wrote a great score, kind of like Elmer Bernstein sounding, that sort of old like 1940s, 50s movie. But it came out right after 9-11. I mean, mm. we we opened like three months after mm. 9-11 and yeah. people wanted happy clappy yes. and lift our spirits and that. So anyway, so I wasn't sure. Well, actually, you know, I, I can be really honest with you. Funny story. Um, right after Sweet Smell, I got flown out to L.A. to go to a reading of a new musical at Universal because Universal were just starting to do musicals because they were really interested in having me be the choreographer on this new show. And I flew out there and it was this big splashy reading on a soundstage and like a band and all these amazing singers. And and I remember coming away from it and I was like, oh, I've just done a musical and it was quite hard going. Like, do I really want to step into another musical right now? Plus, I met with the director and he said to me, mm, I don't really need choreography in the show. I just need you to kind of get people on and get people off and musical staging. And I'm like, knowing what we've all been through to get this show to the stage, I don't think I'm ready to do another one right now. So I politely said, no, thank you very much. And it was wicked. Oh, stop. Oh, my God. <laughs> OK. So, all right. But but I also... I've never regretted that decision because the material also didn't really speak to me. And I just agreed to do my first full length Swan Lake with Pennsylvania Ballet. And they had raised more money in the company's history for this production. And my name was already had been, it had been announced and I would have had to have walked away from that. And so I'm like, this is the right thing to do. And I still to this day believe that. And you made that story a different kind of story. You created a version of Swan Lake that right. had never existed. Right. You created different characters to be. So you created a world. And that was almost your own Broadway show, but a ballet. Yeah. And it was the beginning of, you know, I mean, looking back now, that was kind of the genesis of now what I'm doing in my, you know, original full length story ballets. More of a kind of bridge between theater and musical theater and ballet. So I left the Green Witch behind, and you know I would might have been speaking to you from my own private island right now, but, <laughs> but certainly you know life led me such an interesting way, and so it, it doesn't matter at all. And then it was twelve years before American in Paris came around, and I sort of started to think, oh, because I love musical theater, I love it, I see everything, I love plays, I just love theater. And it's kind of sad. I was like, oh, maybe I'm not going to do another one. And I sort of tried to come up with some ideas. And then, you know, this this guy who had, uh, Stuart Oaken, who had procured the rights, he came to me and he said, I just saw your Alice in Wonderland, and I really think you could direct a musical. And that and was a story ballet you did at the Royal Ballet that was, in Yeah, Canada. that was my first original story ballet. With Very me- much 
like a musical as well. Very much. The, yeah. Of the three big ballets, big story ballets that I've made for the Royal Ballet, the most like a musical, mm -hmm. for sure. And uh, we're actually in the process of turning it into an animated feature, which is really super fun. That um, island will be coming your way eventually. <laughs> it's not here soon. It will. It'll happen. I don't need an island. I need a kitchen island. So I'm excited about <laughs> renovating a kitchen. Hence you're here at New York City Ballet <laughs> yeah. to make a ballet. Yeah. Oh, so, um, so, So, yeah, American in Paris was a huge opportunity. I didn't want to direct it because ne I'd never worked with directors. And he just kept coming back to me and saying, look, we'll figure it out but you should direct it because this should be a singular vision. How old were you? Um, this was 2015, About. 14. So what am I now? We're two, we're, so I was 40. Just, Baby. yeah. Yeah. And it was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done. Why? Because of the weight Artistically, of it all? yeah. Just because I suddenly was thrust into a room with a bunch of actors who are like, this man has never... He hasn't, feel, studied, he hasn't studied theater. Yeah. He hasn't studied acting technique. He, and of course, I was putting a lot of that on myself. I was mm -hmm. like, I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I feel so, I was, I would sweat. Imposter syndrome, for yeah. sure, yeah. And so I would have to just like really fake it mm -hmm. and just, I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm going to just be confident, even though I'm screaming inside mm -hmm. and sweating bullets and I'm going to do it the way I know how to do it. And so I remember the first day of the, they have 29 hour readings, which are kind of week long readings where you sit. Wait, you, 20. 29 hour readings. Or 29 hours? Yeah, it's it, they add up to 29 hours. Oh, God. You don't stay there for 29 hours. <laughs> I got hours. scared. No. Um, and usually it's just a bunch of actors sitting at music stands with the script and the music. And at the end of the week, you just read it and sing it for backers, essentially. Backers, like a backers audition. And I was like, no, music stands aside. Everybody stand up. And they were like, what? what? And so I actually made a little bit of staging and choreography because that's kind of what I, I knew how to do that. I didn't know how to sit at a table and do script analysis. Mm -hmm. Now I do because mm -hmm. I've been through it. Mm -hmm. So it was trial by fire and I was so far out of my comfort zone that I couldn't see it anymore. And there were just moments where I was like, what, what are you doing? But I've taken big steps. I've taken big risks. I moved to New York when I was 19 years old. And that was kind of the beginning in a way of mm -hmm. the, well, if it all goes belly up, then, you know, I will have spent a year in New York. So I think... I think doing that early was really useful, separating myself away, leaving my life behind in London, having to, you know, make it work for myself in New York helped then me go, OK, well, if it all goes belly up, they'll fire me. They'll hire someone else. You know, no biggie. Mm -hmm. And they didn't fire me. And, you know, it, it ended up pretty being, successful. Being <laughs> a, yeah, it ended up being a big critical success. It never really made its money back. Mm -hmm. So and of course, with Broadway, so much of it is is commercial. Um, we had a hard time kind of selling it. I think people didn't really know mm -hmm. what it was. Mm -hmm. They thought it was like a revival or was it a ballet or what was it? Because mm -hmm. we were sort of bending the form a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it was a great experience. And, you know, we had we had a national tour. We had Broadway national tour. We had a London company. We had an Australian company. We had a Chinese touring company. We had a Japanese company. Oh I got to God. go and direct actors in Japanese wow. in an American in Paris. Wow. That was fascinating. That's 
So it was, you know, for me, it was it was six or seven really, really good, solid years of living in that world and that wonderful world of Gershwin. And and, you know, the last production, I think, probably was this most recent one in Australia. I think now it'll probably Mm -hmm. go into it's already started to fall into other people's hands. You know, now Mm -hmm. other Mm -hmm. small companies are taking it and Mm -hmm. making new versions of it, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And you want a Tony for that. And you won a Tony for this most recent Broadway show, MJ the Musical. Yeah. So two Tonys later, coming from that Broadway world very intensely, coming back to ballet, like Robbins did, came mm. back to ballet, came back to New York City Ballet in the 60s after doing some very big Broadway things. What is that like right now? Tell I mean, us about this piece, how you decided to do what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful to be back here. I didn't really step away from the ballet. I was kind of doing both kind of simultaneously except, of course, for the year of the... No, but even during the pandemic, I kept myself really busy. I made all sorts of little online films and did all sorts of things. So it's not like I really stepped away, but I do feel like I kind of stepped away from City Ballet for a while, Mm -hmm. partly because of my position at the Royal Ballet and my... Artist in Residence? Artist in Residence. Mm -hmm. I'm never sure if it's Artist in Residence or... Yeah. (laughs) One one or the other. Yeah. Um, and I have commitments that come with my contract, so I, I have to fulfill them. And I don't have the desire to be going back to back making ballets anymore. And the ballets I've been making have been big, you big, know, full length right. ballets. And mm-hmm. they take a couple of years to develop. Yeah. You know? And we're like, here, here's a month, Chris. Yeah. Make something. Yeah, here's a month. Um, That's different. I mean, going coming back, back to that, to that is a very different thing. So. It is. But I made the ballet, I made this ballet actually really quite quickly, faster than I thought I was going to, because the dancers here are so front-footed. You know, they're always energetically, they're right there, and they're kind of really, like, ready to go. And, you know, they have points of view, and they and there's dialogue, and they're, you know, they're very much kind of like, in a way, what I was experiencing with you and Jock in a different, maybe in a slightly less intimate way but I feel like in some ways like what we had back then has kind of bled out to be much more kind of universal thing Mm -hmm. within the company and and the fact that you and John have been bringing in a lot of choreographers who work in different ways Mm -hmm. from the contemporary dance world Mm -hmm. who who ask for improvisation who ask for you know dialogue between so they're great collaborators they are really Really wonderful, and they're also a really nice bunch. They're just good they are people. a nice bunch. Yeah. We have good peoples. Yeah, here. Yeah, it took you a little while to to commit to your music and choose your music, and um, tell us yeah. why you chose the Schoenberg. The Schoenberg, the Verklatenacht. Um, I have loved it forever. I remember seeing an Anna Teresa de Kiersmacher ballet to it in London years ago. I mean, a contemporary piece. It wasn't ballet. And just remember just being so swept up in the music and then, of course, researched it and fell in love with it and have been listening to it on and off for years. I almost made a piece for you to it. No way. I did. Oh, wow. I did. It was when we ended up doing Bitter Earth in Vale. And I was listening to Verklatenacht and I was like, I'm never going to get this done in the amount of time that we have. So... Yeah, and so and I ended up really last minute kind of changing changing music plans. The reason I'm scared of it or have been scared of it or uncertain is because it is 
so beautiful. Mm. It's almost relentlessly beautiful and stringy and fluid. And when you first listen to it, it's almost hard to hear the actually quite distinct variation that lies within the piece. It happens to me working with any music. I mean, Ligeti being like the prime example. Somehow the act of choreographing unlocks the mystery of the music in a way. And just being forced to actually have to translate color and temperature into movement, you start to see colors and feel temperatures and little stories emerge. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that is actually a section that feels... So that's really cool. It's like... um you come out the other side just knowing a piece of music so intimately. But I was indecisive because I was a bit scared of it. And I still am, actually. But, you know. One thing you were not scared of was when we reached out to you for this commission. You said, yes, I want to do a ballet and I want to work with this artist. Yeah. It's all I know is I want to work with this artist, Kylie Manning. Tell us about Kylie. Kylie, I only met just over a year ago, actually, and she is uh, an extraordinary artist, lovely woman, such an interesting background. She grew up on Alaskan fishing boats, working on Alaskan fishing boats. She's from Alaska. A friend of mine, also Alaskan, whose father was a, was a fisherman, introduced me to her. And he had one of her paintings in his apartment. I remember going over and just being like, wow, like what? Who is who is that? And um, he's very lucky because you can't get Kylie's paintings. They're very expensive now. <laughs> They're very expensive. She's loaned a lot of her work to to museums. You know, all the major museums now have Kylie Manning pieces. She's represented by Pace Gallery? She's represented by Pace Gallery. And she's in her 30s? Yeah. She's maybe just about to turn 40. And one of the most humble people I've ever met in my life. So humble. Right? So humble and mm -hmm. funny and mm -hmm. sweet. And uh, there was a turbulent beauty in her work that seemed to match this music. And I thought, oh, you know what, what I'm going to do? And this might help me actually decide on or at least commit to the music is I'm going to where I'm going to go the other way around. I'm not going to choose the music, make the piece, and then have Kylie make paintings based on what she sees. I'm going to give Kylie the music. I'm going to have her paint what she hears, and then I'm going to make a piece based on what she creates for us. And that was partly to take the pressure off, <laughs> off kind of finding a way in, because I, I couldn't actually at first find a way in. And it's turned out to be really sort of transformative because she heard all this color and I didn't hear color. Like I heard turbulence and I heard darkness and I heard, you know, unmisty and um, brooding and, and she heard peach and she heard this kind of just dazzling cornucopia of colors and she heard brightness and uh, airiness and fluidity. And so when I saw the paintings, I was like, oh, I'm going to be listening to this music in a whole different way. And I think still, there's still some of, that, some of that turbulence in there and there's kind of an inherent drama to the mm -hmm. music, even romantic though there isn't a story. Romantic and dramatic. Romantic and dramatic and at times quite violently beautiful, mm -hmm. also a way that I would describe Kylie's paintings. Mm -hmm. So then we got into the process a little bit of, as she was painting, 
I was like, Kylie, are you going to do figures? Because her figures, her paintings have a lot of figures. And even though they're um, sort of diaphanous and you can't really tell what they are, what's the right word for that? You know, some you, you stand and you look for long enough and you start to see mm. an, uh, an arm and you start to see a hand, although the actual composition is quite, you know, sort of fluid. But I was a little bit worried because, you know, to scale, they were going to be enormous. And so... She was like, I think I'm going to remove the figures altogether and I'm just going to, I'm just going to create this environment and then you, you do what I do, you know, on top of my, mm. my environment. Mm-hmm. You, you do the figures. Mm. So. She also um, designed the costumes. She did. With yeah. Mark Happel together. Yeah. yeah. First time she's ever yeah. designed costumes. Yeah. And you have a cast of of um, six principal couples or three principal it's couples? Three principal couples and then three sort of, we call them the solo couples. Mm-hmm. It's more of an ensemble piece. Mm-hmm. There's no central part of her, which is unusual for me. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I thought would be interesting to explore because I usually anchor my pieces around a central part or a couple of central part of And there are moments where people dance together, but... And actually, I suppose there's one couple that danced together more than the others. But um, it, it does feel like a, like an ensemble piece. Mm. Perhaps Sarah means anchors it in a way. And there is a little bit of, tiny bit of kind of narrative towards the end of the piece that connects her a little bit to the poem that the piece of music was based on. What is that poem? It's called Verklatenacht. And the poem is, where can we, it's, it's a German, German poem. I'm we fa- should find out what that is. Yeah, I'm failing abysmally at remembering the name of the poet. And Schoenberg did sort of loosely base it on the poem, but also when you read the poem, you can start to kind of translate little moments of it thematically, but it, it doesn't call out, I don't think, for a literal. But you've definitely thought about that poem as yeah. you've built this yeah. piece. Yeah. Wow. And from You Within Me, which is the title of the piece. I going to ask you, what is that? Where did you get that? It comes from the poem. But we've adjusted it slightly because the line in the poem is from you into me, from me into you. Or it could also be translated as from you in me, from me in you. And we thought from you within me. And also it sort of speaks a little bit about the collaboration with Kylie and Kylie starting and me giving her the music. So that felt right. Beautiful. So, yeah. Mm. Are you finished with the piece yet? Pretty much. That's good. Yeah. That's good. You still, have a week still? Still got a week. I mean, a week sounds generous. In dog years, <laughs> in ballet, in New York City ballet, a week is like you have yeah, forever. Because well, you usually only have like a sort of at this point an hour and a half a day with yeah. everyone. And that will probably be getting shorter and shorter now, I would imagine, as we get closer and closer. But Have you heard the orchestra? I know that the musicians are overjoyed to be able to play this music. They're really excited. I don't think I've known a ballet orchestra to be as excited outwardly to me mm-hmm. before to play a piece. Mm-hmm. We're doing something also interesting uh, with the music. Mm. Um, it was originally written for a string sextet. Schoenberg wrote it. It was one of the last pieces that he wrote before he went 12-tone. So it's, you know, very lush and melodic. And he also made a string orchestral version, which is probably the more famous version of it, in a way. So there are two versions, and I love how the sextet version begins. So the first movement is going to be played on the sextet, and then it's going to blossom out (gasps) into full orchestra 
as the there's a sort of a moment where there's this beautiful it's the first time there's this really kind of just incandescent major chord <laughs> and the orchestra will just kind of flush through in that moment and we'll do something with the painting as well and like wizard of oz nice. from black and white to mo- to kind of color in a way yeah <gasps> in a way chris yeah a man of many many ideas <laughs> They don't always work. <laughs> <laughs> but we keep going and trying more and playing. Yeah. So are you having fun with your dancers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's different about the company? I mean, a lot of these dancers are new to you. Yeah. And how has it been in, in that way? Because there was a time when you knew all the dancers inside and out and who they were and how they worked, and, and it's different now. It's different. It's only different, though, because... Because I think what I was saying before, they're used to working with lots of choreographers of different styles. Because we were working with a lot of choreographers when we were dancers with City Ballet, because Peter, as you said, pioneered new work. But they were mostly choreographing in ballet. Generally. Yeah, generally. A little more than normal. Yeah, a little more, a little more than normal, mostly for the point shoe. So it's been good for these dancers to experience, like in any ballet company now, they have to be able to you know transform yeah take the shoes off take the point shoes off and be grounded and earthy and move in a different way and i think in many ways it makes them better when they put their point shoes back on i've been having fun working with them mm-hmm. on the fluidity of their upper body mm. and the weight of their upper body and the featheriness of their fingers because there's so much emphasis and demand on attack and Mm-hmm. The pulling to center in order to create brilliance in the quickness, the, the balancing. Yeah. And they struggle a little bit with a, with a weight in the upper body. And so we're playing with lots of ways to encourage that. Because I think actually in the end, again, combine the two and you have something really extraordinary. Mm. There's nothing like having the living composer, choreographer, creative artist in the studio building something on you or with you it makes a dancer grow more than anything and you help these dancers as you did me pull out our own voices and develop our own artistry through your ideas and your vision and uh, we are so honored to have you back Chris and we're so excited about this new piece and very much looking forward to May 4th for this premiere it's great to be back and you know, I hope I, I hope I done a good one. <laughs> what I've seen, I've loved. So I feel very um, I know optimistic. Are, I always know, like I know that there are parts that I really enjoy watching, but I never, because quite often the ones I enjoy watching, other people don't enjoy watching, and vice mm-hmm. versa. It's funny; it can be mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. But you know, regardless, working with the dancers here has been has been really a pleasure and I think they've taught me something and I know I'm pushing them to think a little differently about the way they move Mm -hmm. in this piece and and maybe that'll be useful Mm -hmm. you know carrying forwards love you Chris thank you you so much for everything may the fourth be with you oh may the fourth as in may the fourth be with (laughs) you I like it I like it thank you for listening to City Ballet to stay up to date on episode releases be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We hope to see you soon in the theater, so head over to nycballet.com to have a look at what's on stage.